What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Eric Roberts Fitness Podcast. Hope you're doing well. In this episode, we are going to rip another Q&A. And like I said, I'm really enjoying the Q&As and the Q&A podcast. And I re- I am realizing that um, for me to be able to consistently produce content at a very high clip that I did. Actually, one of, one of the questions was, uh, I guess we can start with that one briefly. Um, one of the questions I found in my Instagram story, which is where all these questions are getting pulled from, somebody was like, you have so much content. Where the fuck do I start? And I'm like, Dan, that's a good question. I really don't know. Um, I guess I would say if you are somebody who's newer, um, I would start with all of my long form content, I would probably start with my YouTube videos, I would start with my articles, and I would start with my podcasts, I'd probably go with those three things, like I have literally, I don't know how many articles at this point, but I have a lot of articles that I've written um, that are in depth, you will learn a shit ton from them, I've done, I, we're on episode four, it's four something on this podcast, so hundreds of podcast episodes, uh, hundreds of YouTube videos, so yeah, it's, uh, but for me to enjoy uh, making, or enjoy for me to enjoy the process, I got to find a way to do that so I can continue to make the content I have for you guys. And, you know, I'll always do other random shit. Like I, and that's why I like this too. I like the podcast because there's always stuff on my mind about like just fitness or just in general that I can kind of just like get out here on the podcast. And so, but yeah, I really enjoy doing the Q&As right now. And so we're going to rip another Q&A and hopefully you learn a shit ton from the Q&As. Um, okay. First question uh, is talking about workouts, and it says, how can I stop myself from getting inflamed after workouts? Diet is on point. Um, You don't. (laughs) I mean, unless you don't work out, then that's when you stop getting inflammation from working out. You are, if you are strength training, if you are resistance training, you're always going to get inflammation. This is where people have to understand inflation well inflation is a fucking bad thing yes which which we are dealing with it's not motherfucking good so please make sure you get out and vote um but (laughs) inflammation is normal in the body like this is like actually i have a client right now her name is patty she's a beast and patty's gonna listen to this so i know you're a beast patty um she when we first started working together we almost had to like um because of a, a certain like condition that she has um Actually, I've done a podcast with Patty, so if you want to go back and listen to the podcast, you can. But um, because of her autoimmune uh, disease, we had to kind of like teach her body it was okay to have inflammation. And, you know, this is somebody who like inflammation was a really, really bad thing for her. But we taught her body, hey, this kind of inflammation is okay. The, The inflammation from workouts is okay because what happens is you're essentially tearing down your muscle fibers. When you are working out, you're tearing apart your muscle fibers, which like, it sounds crazy, but that's what you're doing in the way. This is why I also say you don't change your body in the gym. You change your body outside of the gym when you recover from your workouts because during your workouts, you literally just tear your fibers apart. You tear your muscles apart. You're not making – you're making change but in a negative way. The way you can make change in a positive way is making sure you recover from those workouts. And so if you don't recover from those workouts, you won't ever see any adaptations. And so – in this situation, when you tear your muscle fibers apart, you get inflammation. Inflammation is one way to help tell your body, hey, this area needs to be repaired. This area needs to, you know, it, it needs to get recovered, which is, again, 
exactly what you want if you want to build muscle, get stronger, make adaptations in the long run. So this inflammation, it's not a bad thing. And it's honestly a necessary thing if you want to make sure you continue to see progress. And so you don't like try to not be inflamed. Um, I don't know the, the exact context because I know on the Instagram uh, Q&A sometimes the, the questions aren't that long. Um, if you mean just like inflamed in general, um, I, I don't know, This could, I guess this could maybe be talking about like some water weight retention which again, when you're talking about being, you know, having your muscles have inflammation, you're going to store some extra water weight, which is why if anybody, and if you can also go back and listen to these on the podcast, but if you go on my Instagram and you go to, uh, I, I did like a 12 week cut and a four week mini cut, you can see like whenever I had a leg day, I would, my weight would always spike up the next day. And that was always because when I had a leg day, I was there. I, I held a lot of inflammation, a lot of water inside of my legs and my weight would spike up. But literally every single week it would go back down it would spike up and it would go back down and it was just like it was clockwork at that point that's why like everybody thought i was like nostradamus because i was like you know uh, uh i was like saying exactly what was going to happen but i was like i I'm, like when you're knowledgeable when you understand these things when you take the time to learn about scale fluctuations when you take time to learn about you know inflammation you know muscle breakdown that kind of stuff like you understand what's going to happen so um if you're talking about that I mean, ways to maybe like uh, minimize that, I guess, would be making sure your electrolytes are on point, making sure you're drinking enough sodium. Uh, I'm sorry. Make sure, make sure you drink enough water, but also get enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium. So make sure all three of those electrolytes are on point. Like I just said, make sure you drink enough water. Um, making sure you're getting enough protein. Making sure you're getting enough sleep. I mean, those those couple of things right there. But inflammation from a from a workout is a normal thing. And like I, again, this is more so kind of speaking to everybody. Like they almost like scare people into thinking like inflammation is like a bad thing. It's like. No, <laughs> inflammation is not inherently a bad thing. Just like it, it's it's all about it's all about context. Okay, so it's all about context. So understand, make sure you understand that, and that's what I'd say for that question right there. Ah, okay, here's a good one. Um, how can I change a squat to feel it more in my quads? Um, this is actually very well. I don't say very easy, but so you can do a few things. Um, typically speaking, if you bring your legs a little bit closer in, so normally you probably hear me talk about having your legs um, a little bit outside of hip width for a squat, or maybe you've never heard me say that. I have no clue, but typically speaking, you should probably have your feet like a little bit outside hip width for squats. Um, if you are really trying to bias your quads, you might want to bring your feet a little bit closer in. And I say might because some people need to have their feet at about hip width apart to make sure they can get like a proper range of motion and make sure they can, you know, get down low enough and so on and so forth. So this will be somewhat person dependent, which is why I said maybe bringing your feet a little bit closer together, not like, not like shoulder width together. Cause that's just, I think is too way too close. I would say like a little bit inside hip width. You're going from like maybe a little bit outside hip width to a little bit inside hip width that that would be a, a potential thing. Um, but then after that, from there, if you're doing a squat to really bias your quads, you probably want to elevate your heels. So like I, I have um, bought squat ramps. You can get these off of um, – actually, I'm not going to say that company because I don't like the way they do things. I Actually, I can tell you the ones I, I bought from. Um, I bought them from Prime Fitness. So if you want to look up Prime Fitness, I bought it from there. Um, I was going to say another well-known place where everybody buys everything, but I don't shop there because I don't – 
support the people who run that company. Um, but yeah, you can just look up squat ramps and just buy those if you want to, because those will give you some heel elevation. And then you'll be able to, what this is going to, going to do for you is it's going to allow you to create something called more ankle dorsiflexion, which you are, which is like, it's a very simple way of just saying like your ankles can have more range of motion. So if your ankles can have more range of motion, you will be able to let your knees travel farther forward over your toes, which is no, not a bad thing. Your knees can and should travel over your toes when you're doing a squat. So as long as your feet stay flat, or in this specific scenario, your heels are going to be elevated. So like not going to stay quote unquote flat, but as long as your heels stay, or, or again, you could uh, even elevate your heels to like, you know, a 45 pound plate or a 25 pound plate or something like that. But as long as your heels stay flat, your feet, I'm sorry, your knees can and should go past your toes. Because again, this is going to allow for more ankle dorsiflexion, which will then allow for more knee flexion, which will then allow for more quad recruitment because you're getting a full stretch on the quad at the bottom of the squat movement. So those couple things, and typically speaking, you keep your chest a little bit more upright. And again, like you're, you're trying to actively like, like let your knees kind of fall forward. I still would encourage you to um, break at the hips first, because normally if people don't break at the hips first, they're going to end up like uh, their heels are going to come off the ground. So you still want to like karate chop your hips back and break at your hips first. But after you do that and have a like maybe slightly less of a lean forward in your torso, so you'll keep your torso a bit more upright. Again, your heels will probably be elevated so you can get a lower range of motion. Uh, you'll get more knee. Like you're trying to smash your uh, hamstring into your calf. Like that's essentially what you're trying to do as much as possible because that's going to stretch the quad as much as possible at the bottom. And when we talk about like hypertrophy of a muscle, which is muscle building. When we talk about that, um, the stretch component is a really big factor of that. I don't know if you listened to one of my more recent podcasts. I think it was a Q&A actually on like the difference between sumo deadlift and, a, and like an RDL. And I talked about how an RDL is better for muscle building because of the stretch factor at the bottom. Same kind of thing with a squat. The, the deeper you can get a bigger stretch on that quad, the better it's going to be for quad bias. So yeah, those couple of things. Um, elevate heels, maybe slightly bring your feet in closer. Um Keep your chest a little bit more upright. Allow your knees to travel forward. And and it's, this also goes for split squats, by the way, as well. Like, I know a lot of people, like, especially if you're tall, sometimes it can be really hard to get a quad by a squat because, like, no matter what, your fucking glutes and hips are going to take over. Just because, like, I, I have this issue all the time, even with split squats. Split squats are better, but... Um, if you're taller, it's going to be harder to bias your quads typically in a squat. So what I would say here is you can uh, kind of transfer, I mean, you still do squats, but during your split squats as well, all of this same thing I just said applies. If you're in a split squat fashion, like you can elevate your heel, you can allow your knee to travel farther forward. The one thing I will say, if you're really trying to bias your quads is you might have to go a little bit less weight, especially in the beginning, because your body is probably really, really, really used to using your glutes. And so, so when you try to like use your quads, you're going to want to use your glutes, right? You're going to want to use your hip and glute musculature. And so you might have to back off the weight at first and kind of like let your body get used to like allowing your knees to travel forward and more ankle dorsiflexion, all this good stuff. Um, but, you know, just keep those couple of things in mind if you're really trying to just smash your uh, quads on a squat, all right? All right, next question. Um, so this is I, I'll, I'll give you some some backstory to this. So um, this person asks, if you don't recommend the bro split, then which is the optimal split for muscle gain? And so 
quick context. Somebody asked me um, if they should, or if, yeah, somebody asked me on my Instagram story if they should train their muscle groups or if they should train their back two times a week. And I answered yes, because you want to train your muscle groups two times a week in order to allow for this. Training your muscle groups two times, and I have an entire podcast on this as well, so I won't go super in-depth on this, but training your muscle groups two times a week is going to, number one, allow for the optimal amount of like uh, something called muscle protein synthesis, which is just almost, in, in this context, think of it as just like, signaling your body that you want to build muscle and signaling to your body that you know you want to recover from your workouts and all that good stuff like just signaling hey you know i i want to i want to change right so it signals that twice a week and then on top of that it's going to allow you to get as uh, as much weekly total volume and when we talk about weekly total volume this is the amount of working sets per muscle group per week. It allows you to get enough weekly total volume without overdoing it in one session. And unless you are on steroids, um, the amount of uh, session volume per session per muscle group, so if you're doing glutes, for example, the amount of glutes, the amount of sets you can do in one workout for your glutes should not exceed roughly about 10 because there is a bell curve here. There's a point of diminishing returns. After you do about 10 total working sets, you are going to start getting negative uh, essentially negative results. That's kind of like a oxymoron negative results, but you're going to see diminishing returns, right? So, um, if you, if your goal is to get roughly 10 to 20 sets per muscle group per week for a body part, but you can only get 10 sets per workout. Well, that inherently you have to hit your muscle group two times a week, right? So this is why the bro split, like chest on Monday and back on Tuesday, shoulders on Wednesday, Thursdays, legs, this arms Friday. Like that's why that's not the most optimal for people who aren't on steroids because you want to be able to, number one, again, get that frequency of muscle protein synthesis for that specific muscle group. And then number two, you want to make sure you can get your overall total weekly volume in check for the week. So splitting up two times a week, um, is, is most optimal. Hopefully I explained that well enough. Again, if you want to learn more in depth about that, I've done an entire podcast on this exact topic. So feel free to scroll back and check it out. Um, but what is the most optimal split? Yeah, I think it, it depends. Um, somewhere between three to five days per week. And honestly, I usually more lean towards three to four days per week. And I can even tell you from my experience. Um, but I can touch on that in a second, but Three to five days a week, somewhere around there. And again, three to four. If you're doing three days a week, I would do lower, upper, full body. Because that way you can get all, again, you're doing full body, which so all of your muscle groups one day. You're doing uh, upper, which is obviously upper muscle groups. And you're doing lower, which is lower muscle groups. So you're hitting your muscle groups two times a week. Um, again, what people often forget about this is like you don't have to do like 12, 15, 20 sets on your arms. Like this is where the bigger muscle groups and the smaller muscle groups kind of get like split up a bit. So like your chest, your back, your quads, your hamstrings, your glutes, those are your big, big, bigger muscle groups and your smaller muscle groups, like, you know, um, uh, calves, um, doing things like bicep curls, tricep extensions, shoulder raises, that kind of stuff. Like those are smaller muscle groups. So they, they don't need as many sets per muscle group per week. And that's because when you're doing your bigger muscle groups, 
inherently, you're going to have to work those things. Like, for example, when you are doing a row, you're going to work some of your biceps. When you're doing a, a chest press, you're going to work some of your triceps, right? So when you're doing these um, smaller muscle groups, number one, they already get worked. So you don't need as much total volume on those areas. And number two, they're smaller muscle groups. Like your quad, your thigh muscle, your quad is a massive muscle group in your body. Your side delt it's a very small muscle group. So it doesn't need as much total volume as a quad would need or a glute would need, for example. So sometimes people give me pushback or, or whether it's pushback or they just don't understand like how this would work because they're thinking they need to like hit every single. It's like, no, when you're doing a lower upper full body split, you're going to hit your quads, your hamstrings, your glutes, your chest, you know, your back, all that good stuff. And you can like put more volume on areas you're really trying to improve versus the other and so on and so forth, right? Like it somewhat depends, but in a general speaking terms, you're going to hit all your major muscle groups. And then during those days, you know, if you're on your lower body day and you want to incorporate more hamstring, cool. Like one of your finishing exercises will be a hamstring curl. Or if you're on upper body and you really want to improve your rear delts or your side delts, cool. One of your exercises on those days is going to be some more side delt or rear delt work. So you can get the main muscle groups out of the way and you can just kind of like sprinkle in some of the accessory and isolation work as you need. So that's what I'd say for three days a week, uh, for four days a week, uh, just a simple lower, upper, lower, upper split. Um, yeah, some people like I, I can think of like very few times I've had clients where like if I do a four times a week, I might do like three glute days and one upper body day. But that's really if somebody just does not give a fuck at all about doing their upper body. So like maybe that um, and then five days a week, which again, I really don't recommend a ton. Um, and actually, I just like stopped doing five days a week. I'll go back at some point. But um, five days a week would look like lower body, upper body, lower body push and then pull. So you're just essentially, you're doing a lower upper, lower upper split, but that fourth, like that fourth upper body day is split up into uh, a push and a pull day. And that's really only because, and this is really when you get more advanced, um, when you get more advanced, you're, you might need some more volume on specific muscle groups. And so sometimes it might just make sense to split that up. But even still, I think you can do that on a four day a week, lower upper, lower upper split. But I would also say as well, again, to the five day a week thing, Number one, most people just don't need that because you're not like 10 years into lifting, like someone like like lifting, like real lifting, not like just working out because working out is great. And I'm pumped that you've worked out for a very long period of time, but like a real lifting program, uh, most people just have not followed that in their day. And then number two, again, you know, kind of on top of that, like I, most people just can't recover from that, which I'm glad I mentioned the earlier beginning part of like recovering, because if you can't recover from it, then it don't fucking matter what you do. <laughs> if you, if you, and this is where, unless somebody is in a calorie surplus and they are ed, in, er, intermediate to advanced and they have their nutrition down to a motherfucking T, like they have all nutrient dense whole foods, they have hitting their protein like it's nothing, like they're getting their electrolytes, getting their sodium, potassium, magnesium, getting their water intake, they're sleeping at least seven hours a night, if not eight or nine hours a night, they live a very low stress lifestyle, like unless somebody's doing that, I don't recommend them doing five days a week. So if that's you, then like maybe, but even then, like you don't need to go to five days a week. So many people think more is better. More is not better. 
better is better. The more, the better quality that, and, and again, like I said, you do need to hit certain muscle groups per week and so on and so forth. But even then, like, you know, and like I said, I will probably go back to doing a five day a week split. Guess what? When I'm in a calorie surplus, <laughs> when I'm trying to focus on really improving one specific body part, um, you know, when my sleep is going to be really in check, like I'll go back to that. But for right now, like, no, like I'm not, not doing it. And most people, like uh, they don't need to, you know, bring up their biceps that much or whatever the case may be. So I'm a big fan of three or four days a week, um, five days a week. I've only programmed five days a week for, I can count on one hand how many clients I've programmed five days a week for. And I've programmed, I mean, I've programmed literally thousands of workouts. So that should probably tell you something there. So that's what I would say. Um, all right, next question. All right, um, this comes from... Um, I, I did a, a story about like what I eat every single day for breakfast and I might have said this before on the podcast, but every single day for breakfast, I eat, um, I pour a bowl of Rice Krispie cereal. I mix up a protein shake in water and I pour it over the Rice Krispie cereal because it's like I'm using that in lieu, in lieu of the milk. Um, and then I have a banana and a Greek yogurt. So this person asked me, is there a specific reason you mix protein powder with water and not milk for breakfast? And the very, the very simple answer is, yeah, it's an easy way to save 200, 300 calories. Um, so many people, like, I'm, I'm going to sound like a dick when I say this, but stick with me. Cutting calories is actually very easy. And I, it's it's very simple, right? Like, I shouldn't say easy. It's, it's in, Although, I, I don't know. I think it's actually rather easy. But I know it's not easy. It's very hard. Um, but it, it is simple. That we can both, we can all agree on. Um, it's very simple to cut calories. Like, you just you know, do less, right? So like, for example, uh, right now I'm more in my maintenance, right? Now, if I was in my surplus, I would probably be having uh, milk for that meal because I would want more calories. But while I'm in maintenance, I'm just trying to maintain, right? So I don't need the extra calories from milk. So a very simple way to save two to 300 calories is by swapping out like regular 2% milk for water or regular 2% milk for, you know, almond milk or whatever it is, right? It's like the liquid calories, man. People don't understand how fast liquid calories actually add up. Like look at your motherfucking coffee creamer. Look at the milk you're putting in your coffee. Look at like that stuff you're putting in your drinks. Look at the the drinks you're ordering from Starbucks. Look at the he healthy smoothies that you think you're having every single day. Like that that's what that gets me. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with having like a smoothie that's higher in calories, but the for the people who are like, "Oh, I'm having a healthy smoothie." I'm like, "It was 800 calories." Like, and you're hungry an hour later. How the fuck is that? Like, no, that's not that's not quote unquote. I don't care how much fucking kombucha or fucking spinach you throw into your goddamn fucking smoothie like it's not a 900 calorie smoothie where you're hungry an hour later no i would not classify that as fucking as as healthy because like i don't care how green it is like it doesn't mean it's automatically healthy so it's just a super easy way for me to cut calories and not like overdo it on the calories because you know when i'm when i'm in maintenance Again, I'm not trying to gain. I'm not trying to lose weight, but I'm not trying to gain necessarily gain weight, right? So in that scenario, um, yeah, I, I just want to quickly save some calories without having to without having to eat less food. Because again, like I don't want to not eat more food. I want to be I want to be able to use those calories for food. This is kind of like an off topic thing, but kind of on topic. Which um, somebody was I was talking to somebody recently about like um, how I don't drink alcohol and. You know, I told them, I was like, they're like, oh man, like, you know, it seems like you eat everything. And I'm like, yeah, okay, you're four drinks in. That's 800 calories, right? I'm not four drinks in. I ate 
an extra 800 calories. You drank an extra 800 calories. And they were like, ah, fuck, you're right. I'm like, yeah, exactly. So that's like when pe- whenever people like see me like eat or they're, I go out to eat or whatever it is, it's like they're like amazed at how much food I eat. And I still like stay relatively lean. I'm like, well, I don't fucking – I don't drink alcohol. I don't drink like you know a ton of these smoothies. I don't drink coffee with a bunch of creamer like – there's somewhere along the line somebody is making like a different choice right because i always get this too people like look at people whether it's like myself and i'm a bit of a different topic because like i'm you know six four two fifty i i work out you know four days a week consistently um you know my steps have sucked balls recently i'm not gonna lie but for the most part i get a lot of steps per day like i'm a you know i, I burn a lot of calories so i can eat a lot more calories than somebody who's five three you know 170 or whatever it is but even still, there's usually a lot of things people do that you don't see. You just see them like eat a lot of food and like they stay lean somehow, but like they don't drink and their breakfasts, lunches, and, and dinners for 90% of the time are spot on. Like for me, I go out to eat like once a week, maybe twice if it's a really crazy week. And when I say go out to eat, it's really just like going to get Chipotle or Chick-fil-A and bringing it back home. But, um, you know, when I do that, like, yeah, I might have a meal that's higher in calories, but even then, like on that day, for example, that is, I know this is really off topic from the question, but I'll just I'll just keep going because it's my podcast and I can do whatever I want. Um, even on that day, for example, if I'm going out to Chick-fil-A and I'm getting a big meal, like usually what happens, not not because I want this to happen, it's just normally how it ends up. Like I'll typically eat one less meal throughout the day just because of like how the day is set up and how my – it's usually about, uh, Friday or Saturday. Usually how Friday or Saturday is set up, like I'll just be working and I won't get to a meal or whatever it is. And I'll kind of like know in the back of my head I'm probably going to go get something. And so if I do that, like it's almost kind of like I'm not like banking my calories or saving them. It's just kind of like how it ends up falling through. So like even on those days, like I'm still hitting my calories on those days because it all works out at the end of the day. So – before I rant any longer, um, that is the answer to that question. That's why I do that. So, all right, next question: um, Does uh, do genetics play a role in how much loose skin you'll have at the end of a weight loss journey? Um, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I have not done much research on the answer to this question, um, but from the research that I do have. I mean, you could maybe be more susceptible depending on genetics, but I would honestly say what this would really come down to is number one, like without sounding like a dick, like how overweight did you get, right? Like if you're 150 pounds overweight and you lose 150 pounds, I don't really care who you are or what your genetics are. You're going to have at least a little bit of loose skin because like where does where does the skin go? Like it, it doesn't go anywhere else, right? So like, yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it more so depends on how much overweight you got. So if you're losing 80, 90, 100, 110, 120 pounds, like it, that would really depend. Um, also though, and I think this is a thing too, and this, I mean, you could say this is genetics, but not real, not, not really because like even if somebody, I've seen people who are 100 pounds overweight and they, you know, lose 100 pounds and they're not, like they don't have as much loose skin as somebody else, but that same individual, for example, uh, used to be an athlete, right? And like they had built up a lot of lean muscle mass over the course of their over the course of their training career, right? So, and they kind of kept it up, like they kept working out, whatever, whatever, and like, but maybe the, you know their their nutrition just went to shit, whatever it is. So if somebody has more lean muscle mass than somebody else, they would probably have less loose skin because like that muscle will kind of fill out, you know, over the, over the fat loss. Right. So I don't know. I don't know. I would call that genetics though. I mean, but maybe to a degree if like, I mean, yeah. So I would say that would be number two. Um, number three, 
just how quickly you lose weight because if somebody takes three years to lose 100 pounds versus if somebody takes six months to lose 100 pounds, I mean, inherently, the person who loses, you know, 100 pounds in six months, they're going to have much more loose skin than somebody who's going to have, you know, who lost, you know, uh, 100 pounds in a year and a half, two years, whatever it is, right? Because that, like, very rapid fat loss, uh, that very, very rapid weight loss is, again, like, where where does the skin go? And it, and it happens like very rapidly. So, you know, you don't, you don't have much time to, for example, you know, do some body recomp, lose fat, build muscle at the same time. Like if somebody's body recomping, you know, while they're losing body fat, they're also building muscle. All right. Like now, like I, I hate this phrase and this is not true, but I'm going to use it here in a second, but I'll explain, you know, they're like replacing fat with muscle. You, you do not replace fat with muscle. Let me make myself very clear here. Like you're not replacing fat with muscle. So stop saying that um, you're losing fat and you're building muscle at the same time. But in this specific like context of this question, if while they are losing fat, they are also building muscle, cool. Then like, again, maybe they won't have as much loose skin at that point. And I think, again, beyond that aspect of it, um, but beyond the building muscle and not losing weight super quickly and like, you know, how much weight somebody has to lose – I mean, I guess maybe people have like different, like if somebody has like a vitamin E deficiency or like maybe something like that, like, I don't mean, maybe, but like, I mean, beyond that, I would say it's more so lifestyle factors than it would be like genetics, if that makes sense. And again, I, I'll be, you know, I'm, I'm always like, always, I'm always very honest about what I do. And I honestly don't know, but like, I've never actually done a ton of research on that specific question. Um, I think it's an interesting question, but that would be my, uh, my kind of two cents on that. Um, okay, so next question. When I do a lot of squat and lunge jumps, knees get sore, even though my form is fine. What to do? Stop fucking doing squat jumps and lunge jumps. That's why your fucking knees are getting sore. Like, I don't, I do not believe, and this is the, like box jumps too. Like, sorry, CrossFit people. Um, I do not see a reason unless you are an athlete that that's an entirely different story. Like if like if LeBron James or somebody else is like, you know, training to be an athlete, they have to jump. So like it's one thing. But like if you're a normal everyday average person just looking to kind of get stronger, lose some fat, build muscle, stay injury free, I I see almost next to no reason to do any sort of jumping. There's a few scenarios like number one, like and people who are inside the clubhouse are going to like grill me for this, I know. But I'm going to trust me. Um, I just included squat jumps in our warm-ups and it was three reps. So I did two sets of three reps on a squat jump as a warm-up. Why did I do that? Two, two, two main reasons. Number one, we were about to go squat later in the workout. And so if you do something like a very explosive squat, you can like, number one, fire your central nervous system to kind of like get your body ready, like almost like that fight or flight, like get your body ready to go. And almost like on top of that, tell your body, hey, like these muscles are about to be very explosive. Like, you know, you, so what we did was we like got to the bottom of a squat, like held it for a second or two. And then like as hard as you humanly possibly could, you jumped and like kind of like extended your legs, squeezed your quads, push your feet into the ground. And like, you know, we're very explosive in that squat jump but it was three fucking reps and like it wasn't like this like high intensity hit hit training like oh my god like box jumps 100 fucking box jumps like that's the dumbest shit ever like no shit you're gonna fucking fuck your knees up dude your body is not meant to do that kind of shit and like lunge jumps and squat jumps like 
98 percent of the time is a motherfucking no like stop doing that like that's what your knees are always going to be fucking sore if that's what you're doing because it's a lot of pressure on it's a it's like running like i'm sorry for all you runners out there but over time running is not the best thing for your knees and i'm not telling you not to do it by the way so don't like send me a fucking dm and be like fuck you eric i like running i don't care susan like keep running i'm not telling you to fucking stop i'm just saying it, it's it's proven that not the fucking best on your knees because because of, of the high impact and that like every single time you know having that shock absorption on your knees so it's not, not gonna be the best for your knees over the long haul so that's why you also shouldn't overdo running though it's the same kind of thing like two sets of three squat jumps is very different than you know 100 box jumps in today's crossfit workout like fucking stop dude um and it's same thing with running it's like running a few miles here and there throughout the week is very different than running a marathon every single fucking week or like training training for a marathon every single month it's very very different right so you know, yeah, I would just say stop fucking doing squat jumps and lunge jumps. It's not because that's the thing too. What are you doing it for? You're not doing it for strength gain because you don't gain you don't gain strength doing fucking squat jumps. You, again, you might if you're on a really good program like the clubhouse. You know, uh, plug plug. Um, Lincoln Lincoln show notes. But if you're on a good program, you might be doing it to help like prime your nervous system. But like that's not getting you stronger. It's not like making any adaptations. It's it's a fucking warm up, right? Why else are you doing jumps to get your heart rate up? There are fucking a million other things you can do to get your heart rate up that don't involve you smashing your fucking knee joints over and over and over and over. Go on the elliptical, go on the bike, go on the rower, push the sled, like do things that aren't going to eccentrically just fuck your muscles. That's why I like all those things I just listed, the, the elliptical, the rower, the sled push, the bike, those things have no eccentric loading on your muscles. And so you can get what you're trying to get with getting your heart rate up if you really want to do that. Like if you want to get some cardio in, do those modalities of cardio where it's not going to fuck up your joints as opposed to doing this like high intensity 100 box jumps bullshit that people do to try to like do their cardio. Like I understand that like it might be boring to hop on a bike or whatnot, but even even regular cardio, do some uh, – some kettlebell swings or do some, uh, you know, do some fucking, I would not recommend you do Turkish get-ups, but something where your muscles don't get absolutely destroyed and your, and your joints more so than not. Your joints don't get absolutely destroyed. So that's what I would say. Um, all right, next question. Okay, um, how, how important is meal timing with regards to lifting? So th I'm, I'm glad they specified this question here with regards to lifting. Well, with regards to lifting, I do think it is actually very important. And this is where meal timing slash like meal frequency. So those are two different those are two different things. Meal timing in my head, I'm thinking of like, you know, what time do you eat? And then like, you know, specifically around your workouts. And so I'll cover meal timing first and foremost, because this is important. I think you should be eating roughly anywhere between 30 to 120 minutes pre-workout. Now, before I know, I know you. You're, oh my God, Eric! I work out in the morning. What are you talking about? Calm down. It's okay. I'm gonna explain. Okay, okay. Just put your panties back on. It's everything's gonna be okay. Um, when you talk about working out early in the morning, I would say number one, I would still try to get something small before your workouts. So whether it's like half a banana, whether it's a Rice Krispies treat, whether it's a clementine, whether it's just some Greek yogurt, like I would try to get some sort um, of protein and some sort of carbs. If you work out super early in the morning, you know, roughly 30 to 60 minutes before your workout. Now, if you're somebody who's just going to be very, very stubborn and say like, I get this, it's just, 
it's a phenomenon to me how much people take a stance on this. And it's also funny because literally every single time that I like tell people and encourage people to do this, they always – I can think of two people right now on the top of my head. One, Nicole, my client Nicole and two, my client Stephanie. They both were like, ah, oh, like, you know, I wake up early but I don't eat before I work out. But I know you say to and should I? And I'm like, ah, you know, you know I don't know, fucking try it. Like, you know, just fucking – just try it. Like, yeah, I'm just sitting here, like, you know, fucking telling you guys to do this shit for no fucking reason. I make a podcast. I make a post. I make an article. I make a YouTube video. I'm just, I'm doing it just, for, I don't like, I know, because I'm bored every single day. Um, so I'm like, yeah, just try it. Just fucking see what happens. And both of them were like, oh man, this is so great. I have so much energy. Oh my God. Da, da, da. And I'm like, oh man, it's fucking insane. Like, I wouldn't, I don't know. I don't know how, why that happened. It's fucking nuts, right? Um, so the, the people who are the most stubborn, like that, like, I don't want to eat before my workout. I'm like, Okay. I don't, okay. So if that if that's you and you wake up early in the morning, just make sure your dinner has a really good amount of carbohydrates and a really good amount of protein. So, but even before, even then, I would still recommend trying to get something, even if it's small. And if you don't work out early in the morning, again, I would try to eat roughly 30 to 120 minutes pre-workout. I would try to not go beyond two hours, just because you're not going to have a steady stream of uh, glycogen, uh, typically inside of your body, that's going to be able to like help you push through the workout you're about to do. Because again, like the workout you're about to do is going to require glycogen, and glycogen. Just think of glycogen as like energy for your muscles, right? And it's also going to require amino acids. Amino acids are the building blocks of protein, which is why, again, I said try to get some protein, try to get some carbs. 30 to 120 minutes pre-workout that's going to help you have better workout performance for your workouts and if you're somebody who like feels like you burn out during your workouts and like you really like get tired or dizzy or lightheaded it's probably because you're not eating enough protein or not eating enough carbs for your workout it could also be for a various few few various different reasons could be because of electrolytes could be because you're not taking enough rest time it could be a lot of things but that right there is a big one so having that pre-workout um intra workout like during your workout um, I would say if you're going to take something, it would maybe be um, electrolytes, which you can also take electrolytes before your workout as well. Um, I would say maybe electrolytes, maybe some carbohydrate powder. So like um, something like highly branched cyclic dextrin might work during your workouts because, again, that's just literally giving you a straight, like straight immediate source of like glycogen into your muscles. So maybe taking some like carbohydrates intro workout. But nothing like, you know, you don't like have to take anything. And then for post-workout, again, uh, getting some sort of protein and getting some sort of carbohydrates. Now, I know you asked me about meal timing, but I'll also say here too, when you are um, post-workout, uh, that is typically the best time to take your creatine as well if you can. If not, it's okay because as long as you take creatine sometime during the day, that's all that matters. Yes, take it every single day, even on your rest days. If you want the creatine that I use, I'll put the link here in the show notes. Just go to Legion Athletic com and it's called recharge and you can just type in my code eric you'll get 20 percent off so if you want to get a good creatine that would be it but this would also be the time to take creatine with your protein and with your carbohydrates so again whether you have like a protein shake and i don't know a banana for example just like you know drink your creatine with it um so yeah i would say again trying to get that within 30 to 120 minutes post-workout as well you don't need to like overly freak out about like getting it in right away or your workout's a waste. Like that's not what we're doing here, but you know, roughly within 30 to 120 minutes post-workout, you want protein, carbs, and creatine. 30 to 120 minutes pre-workout, you want protein and carbs. Intra-workout during your workouts, maybe having some sort of um, electrolytes, carbs, or maybe even essential amino acids, EAAs, not BCAAs, but EAAs could potentially get thrown in during your workout. So 
that's for meal timing. Then meal frequency is the second one. And that's just kind of like how often do you eat your meals? I would say this also matters because um, it matters for muscle protein synthesis. And so again, muscle protein synthesis, it's like this magical unicorn. Um, think of it in this scenario as like you are, again, just kind of essentially like, you know, telling your body, we want to repair and grow muscle, right? So when you're doing that, you want to optimize muscle protein synthesis. And the way you do that is eating protein roughly every two to five hours, right? So at least having three meals during the day with protein, if not more. Typically speaking, every single meal I have is with protein, which is why like I mean, which is why number one, I'm never fucking hungry because I'm always eating high protein. Um, but number two, like I'm, I'm, my muscle protein synthesis is motherfucking on point because every single meal I have or snack that I have is usually some sort of, you know, it has some sort of protein. I've, I've built up that habit over the years and I was a really like, er, actually funny enough for all of you who are just starting when I was just starting my like fitness journey, I thought I don't fucking care what I'm doing. I need to eat protein. I don't care where I am. I don't care what's going on. I don't care if it's a shake. I don't care if it's chicken. I don't care what I was like. The only motherfucking thing I worried about was eating protein. So I would also recommend you do that as well. But that is meal timing. So try to eat protein every two to five hours. And uh, yeah, that's for that question. And that should be it, guys. That is it for the Q&A today. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I know I did. So if you enjoyed it, please feel free to leave a five-star rating and review wherever you may listen, my friend. And I hope you learned something. And we'll chat soon, all right?